0: You can join with me our scripture reading will be from Ephesians six, ten through seventeen. Our teaching today is specifically on verse seventeen B, but we'll read the entire section. In our Pew Bibles, this is page nine seventy nine. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil.
1: Good morning. Uh, We are continuing in our series in spiritual warfare. We are focusing on verse 17, specifically the sword of the spirit, which reads, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Um, Let's reread that Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 12, just as a backdrop before we enter this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. I think it's quite clear that we're in a battle against evil, uh, a lot of it with the foundation being a spiritual battle. And we're exhorted to put this spiritual armor on, to put on the gospel, to put on Christ. And over the past few weeks, we've we've looked at different pieces of armor. Today we'll be looking not necessarily at a piece of armor, but uh, a piece of weaponry for spiritual warfare. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 reads this, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And so we are equipped with the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 16, Paul writes this to Timothy, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word of God is alive. It is understanding of us. It is dynamic. And even though the words never change on those pages, it's so odd how you can read it and how it ministers to you at these very vulnerable times. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it reads, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I realize that we live in a world that doesn't readily accept the word of God as the word of God. That there is this thought that it is antiquated, it is irrelevant, it is not able to minister to the things of today. And if there is any sort of relevance that is given to us, it's to be looked at as mainly a a source of literature or a source of history. But when it is read just as a piece of literature or just as history, one is stuck in their flesh and not engaging in the spirit. And fighting in the spiritual realm is what we're talking about this morning. A, A person can't find the deeper things of God looking at the Bible when you're simply looking at it as a textbook, a piece of literature, history. In Job chapter 11, starting in verse 7, it reads, Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. You see, we don't find out about God unless we have a relationship with God. And you can investigate a person all that you want. You can find out about their history. You can find out how a human being works biochemically, physiologically, anatomically. You can find out everything about a person. But unless you have a relationship with that person and start talking to that person and communicating with that person you don't know what's going on in their mind. You don't know what's going on in their heart unless you communicate with them. And it's the similar thing with God, that people that don't have a relationship with God think that they know everything about God when they don't. They can just observe what is happening around them and the circumstances, but you have no idea if you've never communicated with God, whether that is God communicating to you through his word or you communicating to God through prayer, about his heart, about his mind. And the word of God is instrumental in understanding God in this deeper way. It's how many people have come to faith. It's how many people continue in the faith. And it's definitely how we stand firm in the faith. It's to be used both offensively as well as defensively in a spiritual battle. I've been presiding over more funerals and memorial services than usual. Um, Much of it is because of age. You know, when I started in ministry over 20 years ago, it was very rare for me to do memorial services. And when I did them, very terrible circumstances, whether a shooting in Oakland or dealing with kids that are in assault or something like that it was very rare and it was those sad occasions but now it's more of older people diseased or something's going on health wise and when comforting and caring for people and during this time I've noticed that something that people never say they never say I guess that's it we'll never see them again Like, yes physically but They don't say like, that's it, and then close the book on it. They never do that. What do they always say? Rest in peace. As in, it goes on. As in, see you again. Or, hey, say hi to grandma. Like, there's always this thing that is more, that they're expecting more. It's never just like, oh, the light switched off, and that's that. And you do hear that in podcasts or in videos or something where people say, you know, it's just scientific and you just shut off, it's just like a computer. But in a funeral service, in a memorial service, I've never heard of such a thing. People are always talking about, well, we'll see you again. It's inside of us, it's innate to think that there's more than just our own physical life because we just automatically speak that way. We talk that way. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it reads, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And this is what's happening to us, that God has put eternity into our hearts. God has put knowledge of himself inside of each one of us. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 19. I don't know about you, but I've never convinced anybody about the existence of God. Never. But the thing is, is that we don't have to. You don't have to. They already know about God because God said so. And they've chosen not to believe, they've chosen to deny his existence, they've chosen to reject his authority and to renounce any relationship. But what does Romans chapter 1, verse 20 tell us? They are without excuse. Whether you accept God or reject God, you're without excuse. We are still accountable. That no matter what one believes, truth is truth. Reality is reality, and how things are as they are created and designed by God are how things are, whether we disagree or agree with them, dislike them or like them. And the only way to understand God is to know his heart, to know his mind, to know him in a deeper way requires communication, and the primary way that this is done is through his word. Another way is through prayer, which we'll get into next time. And these are the primary ways that God communicates with us and we communicate with God. And just like any deep relationship that we have, it, it deepens with communication. The Word of God is the primary way that we receive revelation from God. And it's where we discover more and more the heart and the mind of God. It's where you'll find answers regarding grace, salvation love, and those deepest questions that you have about life, and it's where we read of the mystery of God's grace and his love towards us, that since our very first ancestors, Adam and Eve, you go back there, we've turned from God. And yet God continues to reach out to us. We continue to reject. We continue to offend. And yet he seeks to save us to the extent that he's willing to sacrifice his only son for us. For Jesus to take on every offense that we're guilty of so that we are reconciled to God. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in 1 John chapter 4 starting in verse 8, anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. In this the love of God has made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word of God's alive. It speaks to us as we're living, and it gets to the deepest parts of who we are. It cuts through all of the fluff in our life, it gets to the heart of the matters, and it makes the dead alive again. Without the Spirit, without the Word of God, the eyes of the blind remain darkened, where this spiritual need remains unseen." And when you're spiritually blind, you cannot see the Word of God for what it is. You can't see that you're lost, that you're sinful, and therefore guilt and guilty and accountable for that guilt. It's not until the Spirit of God reveals these things to you that you can see them. It reveals the Word of God for what it is to you. That The evidence that the Bible is truth is the Bible itself. That there is no authority greater than the Word of God. That God has come down to us in Christ, in the Spirit, by His Word. So how do we use this sword of the Spirit? Continually. You don't let it down. You keep using it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. If indeed you continue... In the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven the way that you know that you keep doing this is that you keep doing this you keep using it you don't give up on your faith you don't give up on the word of god you have the word fall on this good soil that is you, that God is sowing seed. And some of it, as you read in Matthew, it falls on these four different types of soil, and you have to kind of consider the soil that you are. And if you're good soil, it produces fruit because of the soil it falls on. And so you continue to produce the word of God that has been sown in you. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. That you keep at it. Keep going. Don't let up. Do what the word of God says and keep doing that. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So we have to continue. You have to continue hearing the word, doing the word. When you believe in Christ, the word of God is, is placed in your hand, that sword. No matter what your gender is, your race is, your age, culture, education, ability, no matter what it is, it is yours. And from that point on, you can use it defensively to block out those lies, those accusations, the shame, the guilt, all those things that are invading your mind to have you doubt. And you can also use it offensively to claim promises salvation, forgiveness, and what you have been given as a birthright as a child of God. Nothing changes the word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 24, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Peter's quoting from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 there. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. We all know that things change all the time. Technology changes all the time. Biotechnology, medicine, science, everything changes all the time. There are new things that we are discovering all the time. The word of God remains the same. It is sufficient for everyone, for every time, for every situation, everywhere. It's the same word for everyone. This is the most equal, equitable thing in the world. Even for Jesus. Just because he's the Son of God, he doesn't get like a special thing. How does Jesus fight with Satan in the wilderness during the temptations for 40 days? It's the same thing you and I have, it's the same equal equipment. He uses the word. John chapter 12, starting in verse 49, he says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. It's the same. You have the same equal footing. One of the intimidating things about the evil one is that he knows the Bible better than you and I do. Great, right? Like, wow. But he twists it. He makes it say what he wants to make it say. He makes it really believable by incorporating some truth to it because you know those are the best lies. Doesn't that sound familiar even in our world? are these elements of truth in terms of value, in terms of morality, in terms of reasoning and logic that's incorporated into these things that makes you question, back to Genesis chapter 3, did God really say, it's the same playbook over and over again for all generations, like don't be fooled by it, it's the same thing. And so that's why you and I have to continually study and continually talk to God, to pray to God, and know that the evil one doesn't have authority, that the authority is the word of God that has authority. So when it's used truthfully, then it therefore is authority, and when it is used dishonestly and not for truth, then it loses that authority. When you don't know what to believe, When you don't know what to say, when you don't know what to read, you can always pray. And you can always quote Jesus, Be gone, Satan. You can always use that quote. And the sword of the Spirit needs to be used continually because you are going to be attacked continually. And so continuing the faith means that you have to have this sword ready. To take this firm stance, it needs to be used, wielded like the psalmist does in Psalm chapter 119, starting in verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me for I, ha- I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie and wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Whenever that shame, that discouragement, despite guilt, difficulty, doubt, darkness, whenever those things creep into your mind, pull out the Spirit of God, recall the word, open the pages of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete." It has me question why Christians wage war according to the flesh when we're told not to. Arguing, fighting, like the rest of the world does when spiritual battles are fought spiritually. And we aren't waging war against the flesh. We're in a spiritual battle to destroy strongholds. So why do we not use what we have and fight like the rest of the world does, it's because I, I think we're embarrassed. I think we want to get caught up in fleshly things because there's an immediate result, somewhat. And this spiritual thing's hard because it's not tangible. And so I think we're kind of ashamed of our armory, and I, I think we're ashamed of our weaponry you know it's kind of like kids when they go to lunch and you're ashamed of the lunch that you bring to school you just don't want to share it you know, just like eat it secretly I grew up as one of those kids you know like I had strange lunches my, my parents didn't grow up here you know, so you you try to hide things, right? You're like, uh, you know, and you don't want to trade with other kids because you're like, who's gonna to want to trade with your food? Like, nobody does that. And you're just kind of ashamed of stuff, and, and so you want to get into these arguments with people and standing up for certain things or being against certain things or for certain things, and you just want to be out there showing like, hey, I'm part of you guys or I'm not part of you guys, and you're just making these things. But in in the whole situation. You're a child of God. You're holy, which means you're not common. You're not like the rest of everybody else. And the way that you see things is probably different because you know the mind of God. You know the heart of God. And it's not to say there's some cross-pollination because injustice is injustice and wrong is wrong. And of course, You stand up to those things. You believe in mercy. You believe in compassion and kindness. And you speak out against those things. But at the same time, you can't neglect your spiritual armament. You can't neglect what you have. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we're just simply ashamed of what we have. We're, We're embarrassed with what we have. We feel like it can't do stuff. And I can't hear... More often than not when people say, when some tragedy happens like this past week and somebody says, like, I, I, can't, I can't take it when somebody says offering prayers anymore. we got to do something. Absolutely. In the flesh, we have to do something. But you're neglecting a very important thing. The evil one is behind things. And if you're thinking you're going to fight the evil one with protests or bills or politics he's just laughing that won't work against me is what he's saying what you're what you're doing doesn't work against me and you have to fight spiritual battles with spiritual things it's not to neglect what's happening in the flesh you do that too but you can't neglect the spiritual realm And in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 it reads, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But I think a lot of Christians are ashamed of the gospel. We wonder, we question, we doubt if the Bible is indeed infallible, relevant, And then we start taking our eyes off the enemy and we start looking at what he's done instead of the person that does it. And we want to address these symptoms that he leaves behind rather than getting after the cause, the evil one. And sharing this gospel that changes and transforms people's hearts. And to know how the evil one works and his schemes we're looking more at what is being done and, and forgetting that he's crafty. That's one of the issues with even our healthcare system. When you're looking at cancer, for example, there's so much effort into being put out in terms of like what are the treatments for it? How do we identify biomarkers for these things? How do we treat things afterwards? And then when you're talking about like prevention, it's not as invested into. And it's really sad because it all comes down to money. Because how do you make money as a pharmaceutical company or a diagnostic company or a device company by telling people to eat healthier? How do they make money if you tell them to exercise more or to sleep better or to lower your stress or or to fast or to do whatever these things are that don't make money they count on people on being sick and it's the same thing with Satan he'd rather have you focus on treatments he makes money that way he has souls that he can take that way rather than identifying the source and the causes him it's a much easier battle to fight when you're looking at treatments because there's no incentive. The Word of God never changes and it gets to what is the deepest issue. Psalm 119 verse 89, forever O Lord your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. You see you and I we constantly change. We always change and that makes total sense that we change. Why? Because we're imperfect. So we have to change. You have to change. God's perfect. Therefore, that's why it never changes. That's why his word never changes. Because it's perfect. So what is there to change? Technology, medicine, all these things change all the time. Because they're imperfect. And what we are changing to as his children is into perfection. That while we were fallen creatures, he brings upon us his righteousness, gives us his righteousness and perfection. It has me question why we hold on so confidently in the way that we think today, in what we believe today, because a generation from now, it all changes, doesn't it? What people believed a generation ago about whatever discrimination or whatever it may be or any injustice back then, hasn't it changed? And to think that you have or I have all the answers that are not necessarily prescribed to us from the word of God, that we can possibly think that what we think or value or hold as a moral truth will not change a couple generations from now? That's pretty arrogant, isn't it, if we think that? We always change. Things always change. What used to be wrong before is right today, but it's the same thing. When a few generations from now, they'll look back and be like, I can't believe they believe that. That's ridiculous. It always changes. The Word of God doesn't. It doesn't change. So we are to keep the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God on us continually and to use it wisely. One of the things I think Christians are guilty of is weaponizing it to harm other people. You're not to do that. We're not to do that. We are to use it to defend other people, to defend them against spiritual darkness. We use it with grace. We use it together as brothers and sisters in Christ to defend one another, to help one another. And the only way we will get to know each other in this deeper way is to invest time into each other to communicate and not just read about one another or to think about one another in terms of scientific terms. You have to get into one's mind. You have to get into one's heart. And then to practice kindness and compassion towards one another without compromise of the word of god let's pray lord we ask for forgiveness in our arrogance to think that we know better than your word we ask lord that you would reveal to us the deeper truths of it that you would help us to see it clearly And that we wouldn't develop a pride or an arrogance in even how we're interpreting it. But God, have it be what it is. Without any twists from our own minds. Which is very possible because we are sinners. And the evil one is continually firing darts at us. And continually having us go back to Genesis 3 and question. Did God really say... So, Lord, please give us discernment in your word so that we are not given to our flesh, that we're not those people in Corinthians where you've given them to the lust of their flesh. Lord, help us to stand firm in your word, have your word speak to us as is in purity and holiness, May we not be a child of the evil one, being crafty, just kind of moving in our ways and shifting with our own times, which change all the time, but may we stand firm in what is eternal, which is your word, which is you, in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your communion elements, let's take those out and partake together, this wonderful sacrament that Jesus left us reminding us of his sacrifice, reminding us of his covering, the blood passing over that's causing the judgment to pass over us. And so we first take out this wafer symbolizing the broken body of Christ for us. Let's take this together. He tells us to do the sacrament until his return. So the fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ spilled for us. We take this in remembrance of Christ until his return. Lord Jesus, there is so much evil. There is so much injustice in our world. And we anxiously await your return. To put things back as you initially designed and created. I pray, Lord, in the meantime, as we are in this world, that we would bring honor to you in, in how we live our lives and what we do. I pray, Lord, for your spirit to encourage people to continue seeking you in your word, to continue praying. And that your words would be recalled easily by our minds. That we can use them in such a way to bless others. In Jesus' name, amen.